Uh, welcome back, everyone. This I am Pastor Neil Wemus, and this is the continued walkthrough of an introduction to Lutheranism, what we as Lutherans believe. So it's kind of it's your YouTube catechesis. Um, this is not meant to replace confirmation instruction, but it is the help to um, strengthen it, to remind you of it, refresh you of it, and hopefully for some of our members who have various issues that they're not able to make it under normally, it's to kind of be a compliment, and so to kind of help them along. Uh, so today we are going to be talking about worship, and to start, I'm going to read a few key Bible verses from regarding worship. What what is expected in worship? And so understand. So in the in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Well, what happens on Sunday morning, the term that we use for it is the divine service. So if you go into your hymnal, so for example, right here, this is my hymnal. It's a Lutheran service book uh, produced by Concordia Publishing House. This is what is used in our congregation. Uh, there are some older churches, some churches that use this hymnal. This is known as the Lutheran hymnal, TLH, you'll hear it referred to as. Um, and then there's also another one that's a blue one. It's called Lutheran Worship. I have one right here. I don't want to keep pulling out books. But, um, and actually, if you can see right over my shoulder, I'm kind of, you can see me pointing to it a little bit there. So right there, you can see it. Um, right in that middle there. Those are the, those are all several different hymnals that I have in my own collection. But anyways, these there are various hymnals that we have worked with, and one of the things is you'll notice in, for example, in this hymnal. So, for example, I just opened randomly to page one sixty seven. It says, says divine service setting two. So, in other words, it's just it's setting two just refers to the music setting, but ultimately it's a divine service. And in our hymnal, there are five of them, five settings, and. So what it is, is ultimately each of them are the divine service. They're just different um, stylings, so to speak, of the divine service. But at the core, they are the divine service. And that is what happens on Sunday morning, generally. Um, the divine service, that term, expresses exactly what is going on in Lutheran worship. And that is the divine service means, so divine means God's service means service. So it is God's service. So it is God serving us. Um, the term divine service, by the way, is from antiquity. Um, the, the early church, uh, and when I say antiquity, I mean we're talking like fourth century at, at the earliest. They referred to all their services as the divine liturgy. So you have like the divine liturgy of St. John Christ Chrysostom. The Divine Liturgy of St. James, the Divine Liturgy of St. Ba uh, Basil. Um, all of those, it's almost like it's Divine Liturgy, uh, St. John Chrysostom setting, you know, type thing. Or setting St. John Chrysostom. And so they're basically just different styles of the Divine Liturgy, different versions to it. But Divine Liturgy is a synonym of Divine Service. All of them confessing the same thing, that what's going on on Sunday morning or Saturday evening, whenever you gather, is the divine service. It is God serving us. 
And so it is ultimately at the core of it, the purpose, why we gather. It's not for, it is, is it to do our, are we doing um, something that's commanded by God? Yes, the third commandment. Uh, remember your Sabbath, the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, we're going to talk about it that in a couple videos. Um, so you're definitely falling into that. Uh, scripture tells us, do not neglect the gathering together of believers. Uh, that's what Hebrews tells us. Um, the church in Acts, one of the first things they were doing was um, the very first thing they did as soon as the day of Pentecost, they were gathering together in worship. So this is commanded. Yes, it's commanded. But the reason you do it, it's one of those, it's a command that God gives us because when we do it, we are indeed blessed. We received his gifts. When you come to worship, you're not coming to get a good feeling, to feel good about yourself, to um, to be entertained, whatever. You're coming to receive God's gifts of word and sacrament. That's what it always is. That's what it's always about. And that's what we call it the divine service. The divine service is any service that has the word, so the proclamation of the word, sermon, and the Lord's Supper. So, so that leads to the question, so what are the elements that should be in worship? Now, I'm not going to dive into the worship wars discussion. Um, that's for another video, for another place. Um, but in our church, just giving a little precursor, in our congregation, we do have both contemporary and traditional styles. Um, now, what it constitutes contemporary, it has a very broad definition, definitions. Um, and, you know, again, that's for a discussion for another place. And I really don't want to get into the discussion about uh, worship styles. So, but for the purpose of this, I am mainly going to focus on the traditional style because that is the easiest avenue um, to talk about the historic practice of worship. And it's got the deep, it's got the roots in Lutheranism. And so, and by me teaching, it's not me saying that I think that contemporary is bad or traditional's good, and traditional's good. Um, or so it's just it's just easy. It's easier for the purpose of what I'm doing here, um, and it's easier than have to go. Okay, I'm gonna teach this service, this service, this service. It's easier to just stick to one teaching, and I'm gonna fall use the common service um, out of Divine Service Three. Um, I'll talk about that in a little bit. So I'm going to read, so like I said, I was going to read, I'm going to read some scripture in regards to worship. So these are the things that the Bible tells us should be in our worship. So I'm going to start here with Acts chapter 2, and I'm on verse, oops, 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they, the apostles, Devoted themselves to the apostles, or the, or should I say, not they, not the, they are not the apostles. They are the ones those are converted. So those who are converted on Pentecost, the Christians, the Pentecost Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts 
praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So some of the things that are referenced in there, you have the apostles' teachings. That means reading the scriptures and the teaching of the scriptures, your sermon. So you have a sermon, you have the preaching of the word, you have the reading of the scriptures. All right, fellowship. So that means it's not just you. Um, you're not a lonely person on an isolated island. We do this together, all right? So breaking a bat bread, this is understood to be a reference to the Lord's Supper. And then there's the prayers. So there's prayer, scripture, preaching, being together with others, the Lord's Supper, and prayer, all right? And also in there is offerings. So yes, offerings are part of worship. So distributing and giving to those who have need. Uh, so here, so the, another passage here I'm going to jump to ah, is Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, so it says, this is verse 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the, hab is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So right there, meet together. So there is a command right there that we are to worship, that we are to gather together around God's word, around his sacrament. By the way, the, the book of the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, written by whoever it was written by, um, was very much deals a lot with worship. And it's telling you, do not neglect to gather together. This is a command of scripture. So people will say, well, I don't have to go to worship. You know, you know that's just something you do. I mean, I'm going to worship God in my own way. That's actually contrary. To the Bible. It's actually because the Bible is actually telling you fellowship, gathering together with one another. It actually is telling you not to worship in your own way. You're actually worshiping as a community. Um, and that is a big element. He Hebrews is very, very big on um, community. Actually, the whole New Testament's about community. That's why we gather together. Otherwise, we could just grab a hymnal or whatever and bring it home. Heck, we could get just pull out the computer and just download whatever music we want, listen to some sermon on some random video. Heck, there we go, I worship. And maybe I can pull out my own bread, my own wine, and just say that's the Lord's Supper. That's not where that's not what they're commanding you to do. It is worship, but it's not the divine service. Uh worship, I mean, technically, worship can be going to work. You know, going to work is a form of worship if you're doing it in a way that honors God. Um but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about what happens on Sunday morning. That is commanded by God. You are to be hearing his word. Jesus said, uh, before he ascended to heaven, baptize, go therefore, make, make, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. So in other words, that's, you know, you're baptized into the church and then remember the church, you hear God's word, you learn it. Um, you're supposed to actually learn until you know everything. 
If you don't know everything yet about the Bible, then you still need to keep learning. And guess what? You're not going to know everything, not in anywhere in this life. So you're forever needing to learn and grow in the faith. So there you go. It is a command. So people say, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to go to church. And I say, well, and it's like, you know, my example is, yeah, you don't have to, um, you don't have to eat food or drink water to be a human being either. But if you don't eat food or drink water, you're going to be a dead human being. And if you you may not have to be a Christian, may not have to go to church to be a Christian, but if you withdraw yourself from God's word and his sacrament for long enough, you are a dead, your faith will be dead. G you know, James says it in his own epistle. You believe that there is a God. Good, so do the demons, and they shudder. And he again, later he says, faith without works is dead. Faith means trust. So there's no such thing as faith without works. There's no such thing as faith without God's word, without his sacrament. That is a dead faith. So faith clings to God's promise, which is delivered in his word, delivered in a sacrament. This is not optional for Christians. It is not an option to hear his word, to receive his supper. It is a command. And if you go long enough, yes, it is condemned. It will, if a person refuses for long enough, there's a certain point you're not going to have, you're not condemned because you didn't go. Rather, the fact that you're not going is evidence that you're condemned by the lack of faith. It's evidence that you don't have saving faith. So does that make sense? I'm not saying that you not going to worship is going to send you to hell. I'm saying the fact that you're not going to worship is a fruit of unbelief. See, just as attending worship is the fruit of faith, neglect of it is the fruit of unbelief. So that's why whenever somebody is withdrawn from the church, yeah, we should be concerned. All of us. So, all right. So another verse I'm going to pull out. This is um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, 18, sorry. It says, do, no, it is 19, sorry. So 18 and 19. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms. So addressing one another in psalms. So one of the things you'll see in our worship is sometimes you'll have like, so um, let me use an example here uh, from today. So today is the Feast of St. Stephen. So today is December 26th. Feast of St. Stephen. Um, it's always the day after Christmas. There's an old him that's there's actually an old traditional carol that goes with it. it goes King Wasassus went to town on the feast of Stephen. So that that song is referring to this date, December 26th. So, anyways, if we were gathering for worship today, the psalm would be Psalm 119, verse 137 to 144. And so the I as a pastor might say might chant to you, right, right might chant, might chant. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. So I chant that to you. Now you 
would respond to me, you have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. So what we're doing is we're speaking, we're responding to one another, addressing one another in psalms, and we're doing it to song. Why do we do this? Are we doing this just because we want to be old fuddy-duddies? Well, it's old. It's an old, definitely an old practice, without a doubt. But just because something's old doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, um, for there's one is for one, um, doing things old, old things as a way of honoring the fourth commandment. You know, honoring your father and mother, honoring your those who've gone before you. But more specifically, this is scripturally commanded. Verse nineteen, addressing one another in psalms. And at the end of it, it says, and making melody. So that's what you're doing. You're doing exactly what Paul commanded you to do. So we're actually following the Bible. So in other words, so we're still talking about here. So when I read Hebrews, we got understand that it is required that we go to church, go to the divine, attend divine service, attend services on the weekends or when it's offered. Secondly, we got that we have to hear the, we hear a sermon, we hear the scriptures, uh, we pray, and now we have that you address one another in Psalms or any type of scripture, all right? We address one another with God's word. And then so as we address one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, so hymns and spiritual songs, this is two different types of music. So, But either way, music is involved. In our, I'm going to come to, when I get to walking through the liturgy, I'm going to show examples of how, where we're doing these things. Um, and then it says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And again, right there, the submitting to one another is assuming and addressing one another is assuming we're meeting together. We're doing this together. This is a community affair. And so we're singing to one another, we're chanting to one another, all that type of stuff. This is commanded of us from Scripture. This is what worship it, what we do in worship. Um, all right, so we got that. And so one more thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so this is the words of Paul, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So those are part of the words of what we call the words of institution. And when we get to that part of um, these videos, we'll talk about the Lord's Supper, theology around it, and things like that. But here is suggested that we do the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is commanded that it is practiced. Jesus did not say, neglect this in remembrance of me. He says, 
do this. He commands that we do this. We drink the wine, which is his his blood. We eat the bread, which is his body. We receive this for the forgiveness of sins. This is commanded that we do it, and we do it often. That's what he talks about, as often as you drink it. So he's saying that you are going to – he's expecting that you're going to do it frequently, not every now and then. So this is a command. So the Lord's Supper, to some degree, is going to be practiced within our services. All right, so this, again, commanded by God. Uh, we'll talk when we get to the Lord's Supper portion. Uh, we could talk about frequency, but right now the main concern is just talking about that it is included. So these are the things that the scriptures tell us um, are involved in scripture and involved in worship, right? What we do in the divine service. It is God serving us. He serves us through when we speak to one another in psalm in songs, in psalms. And by the way, when we sing the hymns, the spiritual songs, a lot of the times these are edifying us, teaching us, um, especially a lot of our hymns. Um, and this is actually kind of the thing is the difference between hymns and some of our your praise songs is your praise song is going to be more expressive. There's not typically a lot of teaching or instruction in them. There's exceptions to the rule, um, but for the most part, it's more expressive. And so it is a and those are good to have. We do. It is good to express, to respond to God. This is worship. That is actually worship by its definition, sending worth to God. But we also do need those hymns that are designed to teach us, to teach everything that God has commanded. And so in teaching, learning the faith is important. This, again, is not an optional thing. God did not say, well, if you get around to it, learn, my, learn the faith. No, he says, Learn it. He wants you to learn it so well that you could quote everything from Revelation 1, to, from Genesis 1, all the way to the book of Maps. So everything in between, you'll be able to quote it by, from memory and tell every last detail into it about it to everybody. And that is, when you get to that point, good. Then you, then you can stop. But none of you, are, no one is anywhere close to that. That is what we're commanded to do. We're supposed to grow in the faith, learn the faith. Because the devil is constantly assaulting the faith, constantly seeking your overthrow, to that he wants you condemned, he wants you in his under kingdom or whatever his 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 hell, and so that's why God wants us to be in His Word to receive His sacrament. Um, Luther in his large catechism. So I'm going to try to. I'm going to see if I can't find this here. It's in the third commandment. Oops, too far. There you go. He says this. And this is actually even a response to those who say, well, I know the word perfect. He says, let me tell you this. Even though you know God's word perfectly and already a master in all things, you are daily in the devil's kingdom. He ceases neither day nor night to sneak up on you and to kindle in your heart unbelief and wicked thoughts against these three commandments and all the commandments. Therefore, you must always have God's word in your heart, upon your lips, and in your ears. 
But where the heart is idle and the word does not make a sound, the devil breaks in and has done the damage before we are aware. On the other hand, the word is so effective that whenever it is seriously contemplated, heard, and used, it is bound never to be without fruit. It always awakens new understanding, pleasure, and devoutness, and produces a pure heart and pure thoughts. For these words are not lazy or dead, but are creative, living words. And even though no other interest or necessity moves us, this truth ought to urge everyone to the word, because thereby the devil is put to flight and driven away. Besides, this commandment is fulfilled, and this exercise in the word is more pleasing to God than any work of hypocrisy, however brilliant. And that's just part of his uh, meaning of the third art of the third commandment, and. You know, this is how important worship is. So this is just what worship is. This is all I'm covering here. I said I was going to cover and go into the divine service. I'm going to leave that for the next video. And we're going to walk through the liturgy. And so you can understand why we do what we do when we do it. Okay. So, but right now, this is just what worship is. This is the parts of the liturgy. And if you want to, there's some other great writings about the history of worship. Justin Martyr is a very significant person in the early church um, in terms of talk about worship, worshiping on Sunday. Um, why do we worship on Sunday? Um, you know, we worship then because that's when Pentecost was. That's when Jesus rose from the dead. Um, so that's why we worship on Sunday. And it was actually considered one of the defining evidences for the resurrection of Jesus that devout Jews all of a sudden started worshiping on Sunday. The only way to explain that is probably they saw something pretty convincing on that first Easter Sunday. So, anyways, we're gonna come. I'm gonna come back to you with um, discussion on. We're gonna walk through the divine service to see what all these little pieces and parts and what they are. So, God's blessings to you this day. <laughs>